Special doings are transpiring in this episode. Not only is Sky Brandon returning to help me discuss six more of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, but a very significant date is going to tick by here. A very significant number is going to be registering this episode. So stay tuned to our third review to hear what that's all about. And as usual, go into this podcast understanding that there is going to be some coarse language and there's going to be some spoilers for the six movies being discussed. And I know people are going to want to weigh in on how they feel about these six movies, so if you have feedback to send me, you can send that to rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. I have... I, as always, am your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons, and thank you so much for listening to my show. If you want more podcast goodness to fill your ears with, you should probably listen to the Terror Table podcast, the Shelf Shedding Movie Show, Welcome to Riverdale, and Cobwebs, a gothic horror podcast. These are all friends of Rankin Review, and they all deserve your ears. Now let's get superheroed with another edition of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Technical difficulty. Sky Brandon is back on Rank and Review. Thank you so much for being here. Um, as we talk right now, it's September of 2020, but it's going to be close to the end of the year before this episode drops. So uh, you and I still have a ways to go, but to the people who this is hitting their ears... 2020 is soon to be behind you, you guys. You almost made it. You almost made it. Hang in there. <laughs> so we're going to talk about more Marvel movies. Um, this is the third volume, and who knows when we can do the fourth, because we do not know when we're going to get access to Black Widow. <laughs> exactly. It's the sixth. It's the final film of the next batch, yeah, so whether it's video on demand through Disney Plus or if it's going to be in the theaters, who knows? So, um, I think we have a really tough slide of movies to look at again this this episode, but before we even get into that, I wanted to talk about something to completely destroy my credibility as a reviewer before this episode starts. Uh, <laughs> recently on the show, I did an episode with my kids who actually <laughs> helped me out with an episode where they were my guests. Um, and Tristan, my younger son, doesn't usually ask to watch movies. Like, he won't request them. But he requested to watch Age of Ultron. 
He wanted to see the Ultron movie. That movie that I took the hot, wet shit on in the previous uh, Marvel <laughs> episode, right? So I watched it with him, and because he was super into it, I really had a lot of fun watching it, and now I feel like I was really super mean to Age of Ultron, unnecessarily so. <laughs> so I'm... I think a lot of your points are still the same. So yeah. It was a step back from the first Avengers movie. All that stuff is still legit. Yeah. Um, for instance, in this crop of movies that we're about to talk about, I would make the case that Captain America 3 is a better Avengers movie than Age of Ultron. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Agree. I'll say that right now. Totally agree. So, yeah, we're going to hit a special milestone on the third review uh, this this episode, so look forward to that. But is there anything that Sky would like to say to the people of the internet, or is there any theme that you could pull out of this group of six? Once again, there's no Colson saga completely here. No, no. It, it does feel like, you know, the picture's getting bigger and the scope is ever-widening, which makes sense. Because I think, right, phase one and two were each six films each. And with the addition of Spider-Man, all of a sudden their phase three just kind of was way bigger and way more movies in a shorter amount of time. But I am going to attempt. I'm not sure if this has ever been done before. Uh-oh. I'm going to attempt to convince you to change the order of your pick from Marvel phase two based on some of the discussion this week. I don't know if that's ever been done or okay. if that's even allowed to be done. <laughs> Damn it, I'm going to try. <laughs> hey, look, I, I, I will hear your argument. I mean, um, it's it, it was not an easy call, particularly. They never have been. This episode in particular was not an easy call. And I have a feeling like some of my takes might be, quote, controversial. Although there's nothing on here like Age of Ultron. I don't think I'm mad at any of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I didn't feel disappointed. Yeah. I didn't feel like uh, I didn't get my money's worth to some degree out of these pictures. So on that level, bravo. Um, I think that maybe we start to get into this area of Marvel where if you haven't been a hardcore Marvel fan and you haven't been paying attention from the beginning and you're not like you're not there from, you know, ground zero that you could easily get lost and wonder what all the fuss was about. At this point, it's no longer quite so easy to just wander in to Captain America Civil War, right? Yeah, and I think it's specifically with those ones that are on their second and third film. Like, you could make a case you know, for something like Doctor Strange. Someone could go see that movie and, yeah, you know, apart from a cameo thing in the post credit scene, it really is a standalone because it's just introducing him to everyone else. But yeah, by the time you get to, like, Captain America, Civil War, and things like that. There's, there's more history, more time, and it's a bit more difficult. Yeah. Well, we have two full-blown origin movies, and happily with Spider-Man: Homecoming, they decided to skip the origin to a certain degree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I do think in the very first episode, I talked about sort of origin fatigue. And I think that that might come up a little bit here. The good news is, is that at least the two new origin movies that we have here are things that haven't previously been explored. It's not Spider-Man again. It's Doctor Strange is kicking down a whole new kind of universe of the Marvel, you know, characters and, 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 and adversaries and worlds and dimensions. And, uh, you know... Say what you will, Black Panther was obviously a movie that people wanted. It was the movie of the year, practically, when it came out. Um, but it is 
another origin movie. And, and, and it does have some of those same origin issues that I can bring up when I talk about almost all, even going back to the first Iron Man. But the Iron Man had the benefit of being the first Marvel Studios movie. Black Panther is now the 18th. Yeah, something like that. Cause yeah. After this, they're like 20, yeah, up in the 20s. So, yeah, right. <laughs> the last one so six six and six yeah yeah so um yeah it's a tough bunch of movies and i have a feeling like my rank might be uh, unpopular but i want to go in saying i actually am a fan of all of these movies which is what's going to make it tough yeah is there anything you want to say about these six movies or about uh, your life before i list them off and we get started um well i'm sure we'll talk about it when we're in there but it, it's interesting that you know as you said before, the time of recording it, you know, Chadwick Boseman just like actually fairly recently died, which kind of came out of nowhere. So I yeah. watched the, that Black Panther again, like a, a second time, if you will, recently. And it's kind of interesting that that was the movie that got my daughter into all these movies. She saw the Black Panther trailer, and right. that was the one that made her go, We're seeing that. I want, yeah, I want to see that. I'm like, okay, well, if you want to see that, then we have to go back, and you need to watch a few of these other ones to lead you into it. And now it's become this huge family event that we do all together to go see the Marvel movies. So it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of weird. I'm obviously putting a lot on it that doesn't need to be there, but the fact that here we are talking about these films so recently after that passing, it's like, man, now what? Yeah, I. it was weird to me because I had just watched Black Panther for the podcast and it was like maybe two days later that the announcement happened of his passing. Yeah. So it was like weirdly like strange timing, but I didn't watch it post. The other thing I'm going to confess, I rewatched all of these movies except for Ragnarok. I have watched Thor Ragnarok a lot of times with my son. Like, I have seen that movie a lot of times, so I felt safe <laughs> voicing my opinion on that one. <laughs> it's in double digits the amount of times I've seen Thor Ragnarok, I'm sure, and it's not that old of a movie. Uh, no, it's not. So, <laughs> so, just full disclosure, uh, just in like. I, I, I make my guests watch six movies, so I feel like I should watch the six movies. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing counterfeit is happening. Um, uh, the six Marvel movies that Sky Brandon and myself are going to review and then rank are Captain America Civil War, Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, and the Best Picture nominated Black Panther. Thank the you. only one in the whole canon thus far that's had that That particular distinction, yeah. Thank you yep. so much for being here, man. I, I really appreciate you making the time. Oh, my pleasure. Buck. Do you remember me? Your mom's name was Sarah. He used to wear newspapers in your shoes. You're a wanted man. I don't do that anymore. Well, the people who think you did are coming right now. And they're not planning on taking you alive. Captain, while a great many people see you as a hero, there are some who'd prefer the word vigilante. You've operated with unlimited power and no supervision. That's something the world can no longer tolerate. 
I know how much Bucky means to you. Stay out of this one. Please. You'll only make this worse. You saying you'll arrest me? There will be consequences. Captain, you seem a little defensive. Well, it's been a long day. If we can't accept limitations, we're no better than bad guys. That's not the way I see it. Sometimes I want to punch you in your perfect teeth. I just want to make sure we consider all our options. Because people that shoot at you usually wind up shooting at me, too. You know what's about to happen. Do you really want to punch your way out of this? What do we do? We fight. So I think as we discussed in our previous Marvel episode, I was won over into the world of Captain America. Uh, I was never huge on the comic book, to be honest. I didn't. I don't remember particularly reading any Captain America. I might have read some Avengers comics, but I, as a kid, I don't know that I ever actually read a Captain America comic book. But the movies have won me over. I think that Civil War may be slightly, slightly just slightly less good than Winter Soldier. <laughs> but but that's, that's, that's where I'm at with it. It, it. Just slightly. I will hear the argument, right? <laughs> but uh, as I said at the introduction of this, it's almost more an Avengers movie than it is a Captain America movie. Now, I don't think it hurts the enjoyment level or the quality, and I do think that the main plot does turn on a decision made by Captain America. So in that way, it's sort of his he, his story to that degree and that he sort of starts the ignition of the, the conflict in the group in a lot of ways. Um, but I guess that would be my question. Um, does the fact that there's so many other characters going on, does that take away from this being a Captain America movie? And if it does, does that make the movie lesser? <laughs> For you, or uh, where do you land on Civil War? Um, I'm high on the film, I, you know. But for those folks who may have been listening to the previous podcast, like I'm, I'm a fan of the Russo brothers. I think they really took these Marvel movies and like, you know, just took it up a notch. And in a way, it's it's kind of the audition that got them the <laughs> Avengers: Infinity War and Endgame, right? That ability to balance these huge multi-actor superhero plot lines. And I thought they did a really great job. Uh, I think it does work for me as a Captain America film, although I do agree, you know, it's like it feels like an adventure because the pure number of people involved. And it also sets the table, like it introduces this new version of Spider-Man and it introduces Black Panther for the first time. So it does really feel like it's launching off the, this next slate. But because it comes out of the backstory of Steve and Bucky, and then it just happens to dovetail into the Iron Man story and that friendship and pulling it apart, I think that's why it's, it does work and makes it a really great film for me and ties in so many threads. That being said, I think it is probably the one more than any other film up to this point where people hadn't seen some of these movies going in they might be like hey what why am i supposed to 
care about the why that person, that person are now arguing. Yeah. So, because it is, it's like if you it went by and it was set up in Winter Soldier, like when when Captain America and Black Widow are down in that bunker, that old, um, you know, site where you know what's his name is now on the computer. Right. Uh, anyways, the scientist. I, I'm, I'm blanking on it now. Yeah, I know what you're talking. Hands, forgive me. Toby Jones. But like, yeah, Toby Jones is his character. Um, Zola. There, finally hit me. Zola. When he's talking to them and like all this exposition is coming out and there's newspaper clippings, like it totally sets up the Tony's parents being killed in that sequence. Like that's actually, that seed is planted then. I don't know how many people picked up on it. So this whole idea of the winter soldier was the one that kills Tony's parents. And then that's where we're going to at the end. Like it, it gave me shivers when I watched it. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's not just civil war in terms of this idea about registering superheroes or not. It's becomes really personal in the end. Well, we should get into the plot a little bit. I think another interesting thing about it is that it sort of deals with the repercussions of superheroes, sort of the uh, movie that Hancock advertised itself to be <laughs> kind of gets addressed here. There's some serious fallout. They do stop the supervillain from getting this, you know, incredibly lethal weapon, but at great human cost. Uh, and this Sokovia Accord is happening because an entire city was basically destroyed in that previous Avengers outing. And there are some checks and balances. People want to, you know, these people are incredibly powerful. You mean well, but there are... Damage. There's damage to the left and right, and should you and can you be controlled? Now, that's a bigger question and a tougher thing to bite into than I think that Marvel's attempted, and certainly they don't derail the movie with it, and they really easily could have. But nobody here wants to, you know, show up for this <laughs> Captain America movie to watch a political debate. No, what we're going to see and what we paid our money to see is a bunch of superheroes fighting at an airport. And well, that's the thing. Like the, the 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 conflict is motivated. It's incredibly personal on both sides, right? <laughs> Obviously, uh, Tony is a little bit emotionally um, over the top with it because it involves the death of his parents. <laughs> so, uh, but he's also feels responsibility because let's be real, Ultron was largely Tony's fault. So, uh, like, he has his own very personal lines in the sand here. And then we have Captain America who's like, well, I don't trust these people who say that they're going to be controlling us. So that's hard for me to sign on to. Plus, uh, as, you know, rah-rah America as Captain America is, he seems to be learning very quickly that the world is not black and white <laughs> at all. So yeah, he may be only uh, you know unfrozen for a little while, but he's picking up pretty quick. And it's interesting too, like you, you know, you mentioned before that you weren't necessarily a big Cap fan. I, I don't think it's a a mistake that the comics that they're drawing on these past couple in terms of Winter Soldier and the Civil War, like the Civil War run was a big Marvel event crossover thing like 2008 9 I think it was so and the whole Winter Soldier thing it's stuff within like these past 10 years those are the things that they're grabbing onto and deciding to adapt into these movies right as opposed to the stuff that came out when the classic sort of raw 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 the Red Skull era 
Captain yeah. America books, which is what was when I was reading comics a lot. It would have been the late '80s and early '90s. So maybe I just didn't have a good era of Captain America. But again, it wouldn't have been a title that it would have been drawn to. I was right. more into, you know, monsters and whatnot. <laughs> surprise, surprise. But it's weird, and this doesn't, it's going to sound like a complaint. It's not exactly a complaint, but it's one of the things where uh, a superhero movie hits a tipping point almost. Like that fight at the airport is fun to watch. I have a great time watching it, but. These are all good superheroes fighting each other. It's fundamentally stupid that this should be happening. There's no reason it should come down to fisticuffs other than that's what we paid our money to see. And that's what the cover of that issue of the comic book would have been. And we wouldn't have questioned it in the comic book world. And it's, it's, it, this is an unfair comparison because it's an incredibly shitty movie. But the second Fantastic Four movie has a scene right. like this where there's a superhero wedding and you see the thing in a tuxedo <laughs> and you're like, okay, no, too far. Okay, yeah. too far. <laughs> I get that this Maybe is a comic book comic movie, book, but yeah, what are we doing? What are we doing, you guys? And it's weird because the movie completely gets away with it, but I think it's that fundamental premise of the fight, the spectacular, entertaining fight at the airport is the thing that actually makes the movie less good than Civil War for me. <laughs> right. I think the one thing that, too, that is, that is kind of too bad by setting up against, you know, the heroes versus heroes angle, which is necessary, is that Baron Zemo is actually a really cool... Villain. Villain. Especially this film version of him. Like, I really like him as a film villain, and he does finally get his kind of the spotlight on him a bit more at the very, very end. And I'm very happy to hear that they're using him in the Falcon Winter Soldier Disney Plus show. Like, So he's going to be a big part of that. So like, oh, good, they just didn't throw Baron Zemo away. Well, if they don't but kill they, him, yeah. expect to see him again, right? Yeah, yeah. But they're doing really good jobs of motivating the villains now in their films as opposed to just, you know, like, oh, I'm self-serving or world domination or whatever. Like... He's riffing on his grief from what happened in the events of Age of Ultron in terms of his family being killed in Sokovia and stuff yeah. like that. So I'm like, yes, right. I love how it's all threading in and you can understand at least where they're coming from if you, even yeah. if you don't support their actions. And uh, they do a pretty good job in about half of these movies, I'm going to say, with improving their, their villains. Um, and I think that was probably a note that they were hearing a lot in some of the more negative reviews to their previous movies was that the villains always are afterthoughts and they're always kind of lame. And that criticism came up a lot because in a lot of cases it was kind of true. Um, yeah. So in some of these movies we're talking about, I think they did a better job. Again, this guy is clearly motivated. And um, I like like that his commitment goes down to once he's executed it, once he feels he's successfully you know, made the Avengers split and fracture, he would be happy to take his own life and call that a win. And that is denied right. him. Right. So, um, uh, again, much more complex, much more motivated uh, villain. And again, I think we're going to see it with the Spider-Man Homecoming, another villain created directly by the Avengers. Yeah. Um, the only Avengers that were missing, I guess, why they couldn't honestly call it an Avengers movie is that Thor and Hulk were busy having their adventures of Thor Ragnarok, I assume, while this was going down. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, or yeah, or at least they're off in space. Like you know, not to jump ahead, but they even had that line, right? Like Ross, Thaddeus Ross, Bill Hurt's character has got that. He's like, do you know where Thor and Hulk are? Like, if I misplace a couple of nukes, I think I'd have. <laughs> That'd probably have to answer for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we haven't seen. It's right. Hulk hops on a Quinjet and like drops off the face of the planet, and Thor is off doing you know whatever he says he's going to do at the end of Ultron unsuccessfully looking for pieces of the we're supposed to believe that you know whatever this passage of time is thor has been off on this quest and then we finally those paths finally converge Uh, in ragnarok yeah but like that's the only those are the only characters missing that would make it a quote official avengers movie at this point as far as i'm concerned but I don't mean to sound negative because I actually am incredibly positive about the movie. And as silly as the uh, you know Avengers super fight at the airport is, it's full of just fantastic moments. I love when Ant-Man gets inside the Iron Man suit and starts pulling shit apart. <laughs> that was a nice tactic that I didn't particularly see coming. In fact, largely Ant-Man's presence in this movie was very pleasing to me. The big reveal of the movie was seeing Spider-Man was supposed to be the big oh shit moment of the movie. But for me, I I got a big kick out of Ant-Man actually starting his stuff a little bit. His heroism seemed a little bit less accidental in this particular outing. (laughs) Agreed. But it's good. Like I love it. Like all those people, like Ant-Man. I didn't even know there was an Ant-Man. And you're like, oh wait a minute. And you think about what his skill set could actually bring to the table it's like yeah he could do some damage yeah um and just there is some serious fallout you know war machine is seriously injured and um you know the even at the end the whole battle between tony and uh cap themselves i don't feel like this is ever really properly resolved until end game like which has a whole lot of movies in between there's a whole lot of like and and then that one yeah they uh they they don't part on the best of terms they're not friends they're not enemies they're (laughs) there's just a little tension there yeah and the shield gets left behind that's right so again it works in more than it should in a lot of ways and not enough credit can be given to the Russo brothers for this I mean there's so many named characters in this movie like to even list off the cast would take up a third of the review I, I, I didn't even try like quite often I'll write down the cast right like no 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 I'm just gonna no, no a third of Hollywood is in this fucking movie <laughs> okay but then also you know, but I will say like all of a sudden you got like Alfred Woodard she just pops up in a scene in, yeah, in a scene. It's, like, amazing. Yeah. Super talented actor, and she just, like, parachutes in for this one scene. That, you know, really turns Tony for the rest of the, for the movie. It gives him that, that spin in terms of his plot. Yeah, and, and that actress is almost her whole career is making a really great meal out of relatively small roles, it seems. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, once again, uh, we're starting at a high bar here with Captain America <laughs> Civil War. Is there anything else you want to say about Civil War? Or? Oh, I'm sure we'll end up talking about it when we kind of talk about other ones, but uh, it all, I'm leaving it there. It all ties together, brother. Stephen Strange. Might I offer you some advice? Forget everything that you think you know.
You're a man looking at the world through a keyhole. You've spent your life trying to widen it. Your work saved the lives of thousands. What if I told you that reality is one of many? I don't believe in fairy tales about chakras or energy or the power of belief. You wonder what I see in your future? Possibility. So uh, Doctor Strange was an exciting pick for me on a, a few levels because, well, you know, I, I have a passing interest in the horror genre. And, <laughs> and the director. <laughs> the director, Scott Derrickson, has made some interesting horror movies. Particularly, I would say, Sinister and the Exorcism of Emily Rose. He did a pretty disappointing one called uh, Deliver Us from Evil, but like uh, after this Doctor Strange, he's now going on, I believe, to doing the next King Kong movie. <laughs> Or King Kong versus Godzilla, or whatever it is. And as far as I'm concerned, like, he was doing real well, just doing the horror movie genre. But the fact that he, you know, was brought in by the Marvel Studios and he wanted to make a scary-ish, at least, Marvel movie, and that it does, like I said in the introduction, it kicks down this entire wing of the Marvel Universe. That wing of the supernatural, of the multi-dimension, the multiverse and uh, mysticism it's not all science tech it's not all sci-fi now we have ghosts and gods and lovecraftian entities that need to be dealt with and they need to be dealt with in a different way there are certain tasks that tony stark's not the guy that you need to solve this problem there are certain tasks that you need dr strange for so um I was excited about the movie, and I think it largely delivered for me. Um, it feels other from the Marvel Universe, at least initially. It, it takes a while to start to feel like a Marvel movie, almost. Uh, and it is very much an origin story. But the way Derrickson gets over the hump of the origin story, in my opinion, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Sky, uh, <laughs> is absolutely spectacular visuals between like the inception level shifting city landscapes that actual action sequences take place within to the main character benedict cumberbatch's just introduction to the spirit world and his absolutely psychedelic and kind of horrifying <laughs> like trips through you know that made this world that he was so in charge of, so on top of, so confident that he had figured out completely new and spectacular to him. So I think that the movie overcomes its origin-itis because of the level of the spectacle. Does it have a shitty villain? Yes, it does. It does have a lame, afterthought, shitty, not great, thought-out villain, and unfortunately a good actor being wasted in the aspect of it. But that's the problem with the movie. Really, at the end of the day, the scares work for me, and the humor works enough for me that they didn't take away from the scares. So I liked Rachel McAdams being constantly exasperated and having her mind blown by these crazy events that she just seems to get winks of. Just She doesn't see enough to understand it, so it's just enough to make her like crazy. 
And uh, like I love uh, what is it? Wu, the librarian. Yeah. Uh, you know. You, or Wong, pardon me, not Wu. Yeah, Patrick uh, Wong, which is the character's name is also Wong. That's right. I didn't want to get that Wong, but I did. Uh, <laughs> he he could have been too hard, like with the comic relief, but I liked him. I liked him enough, you know, like that, that it worked completely for the movie. Comedy works, the scares work, really. My complaint is the afterthought of a villain, which when I go back to all of the reviews of like the origins, happens again and again and again. As a Marvel origin movie goes, this is a really good one, but it has a leg up on me because it kicks down the door of horror. I'm a big fan of Doctor Strange, but I'd love to hear what you have to say because I know not everyone is. Uh, no, I, I, I like it a lot, but uh, I, yeah, I would say probably exactly what you said. I, I would add, they kind of waste, not waste, they don't completely utilize two villains because, you know, they got Mars... Mars is a great actor and getting him playing Cassilius and they talk about Dormammu is a, a really big part of the mystical villainy of Marvel. Yeah. And then he just kind of gets dropped in at the end. Who's, I didn't know this till recently. Cumberbatch voiced him as well. Yeah. So he's like technically the only guy who's in that scene. The hero and the villain in his <laughs> same movie. Well, Mad Mickelson, again, he, he seemed like one of these guys, of course he was going to be a Bond villain. Of course he was going to be a, like, he just, he seems like he, he, he should play an evil vi wizard. Like, yes, I get that casting, but give the man something to do. Give him a character that made sense. I can't remember, I, uh, this isn't my, I didn't, it was pointed out to me, like the whole idea of him stealing the spell out of the book instead of stealing the book in its entirety. If he'd just stolen the book, they wouldn't know what his plan was. They wouldn't be able to know what spell specifically he was after. Like, <laughs> He's just, it's just not, it's just not thought out. It's just, yeah, I don't know. But the whole discovery and the whole origin of the Dr. Stephen Strange um, from, you know, pretentious, arrogant, spoiled, very Tony-esque character to a humbled, please teach me your ways student of, I guess, the supernatural or whatever you call it. It's not exactly the wizarding world of Harry Potter, but it's, it's some Marvel movie equivalent. Yeah, no, quite often I hear people talking about the, the mystical arts, the mysticism, like that, that the mystical side of Marvel. And I, I did like some of the things that stood out for me on this one, some of the little things like him and his watch collection and this whole notion of time, which of course he comes later on to possess the time stone, like right. little things like that that are built in that are really great. Um, I, you know, I'm a big fan of Chewie Tail Ejiofor, so yep. to have him in as uh, as Mordo, which, you know, by the end, they start setting him up to be actually the bigger problem going forward, which made me really, really happy. I mean, I'm, I would love to see, I really hope they pay that off. Like, yeah. He's a really good ally while he's an ally, and as soon as he turns, you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> so... <laughs> this could be problematic in the future. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, but no, it's it's solid. It's a really solid intro. Apart from you know, it does feel a bit like the first Thor in that way, though. They're like ah, the villain. More like you know, Loki's a bit more interesting than the main villains, and I feel like Mordo's a bit more interesting than Cassilius, and we don't really get a payoff with Dormammu. So yeah, um, my wife is a self-professed Cumberbitch. She really does enjoy Benedict Cumberbatch and his ridiculous British name. Um, 
I don't know. I, I, I've been noticing that I have a little bit more of a sensitive ear for uh, accents. There are times in the movie where I feel like that American accent is being put on. It's, it's hard to de- describe because it's not exactly like he doesn't come off as British, but he doesn't sound like, I don't know. <laughs> it feels like a put on voice at, at some times in the movie. I don't know. It's hard to explain. I don't want to talk shit about Benedict Cumberbatch because I know everybody loves him. Um, But it's something a lot of really good... Ewan McGregor, an actor I love, sometimes can't pull off that American accent for me. Like, uh, it's just something that maybe I'm really weirdly attuned to, but uh, I noticed it. The other thing that I I, I jotted down, because I know this was when people are trying to piece together their timelines... Like in Civil War, um, no, not even in Civil War. Going back, even I think it's Winter Soldier, when they um, they've got like the one character on the rooftop, and he starts throwing out names of people that they're watching, that Hydra is watching, and that's the first time we get Stephen Strange's name thrown out. Right. Which sometimes like, why would they be watching a doctor? Because at that point, he's not the sorcerer supreme at all other than sometimes i just feel like they just kind of throw in little breadcrumbs for yeah. the fans to go oh god he said stephen strange well maybe they just track and, mega millionaire geniuses just to, <laughs> yeah just as a matter and, of practice and this one had a kind of a moment like that too where in his car accident as he's like doing his distracted driving and he's listening to all these potential cases and he's trying to pick the high profile one that's going to make him look good right before he crashes his car they talk about someone like breaking their back or their vertebrae at a certain point and and you know conventional wisdom everyone kind of said like oh that's that's roadie that's war machine from yeah. the crash nope in civil war but everything like and then they kind of have to come out and go ah, actually no it's not because then then they realize oh shit these timelines don't add up we can't say that because he goes away for months at a time in nepal and yeah so so it was benjamin brad yeah <laughs> It was some other guy. But still, I mean, I, I, I like from the original comics that I remember reading some of, again, I didn't read regularly, that the idea of Doctor Strange, you're, he, we didn't talk about the origin. He had this terrible accident. He was an amazing surgeon, but his hands are terribly damaged. And so all of a sudden, all of his, this intelligence that isn't focused on you know working with his hands has to be repurposed. And he becomes this super wizard. But the interesting thing about Doctor Strange is um, he's powerful because of his magic. But if anybody gets through all of that magic and it all of a sudden becomes a one-on-one fight with, you know, Doctor Strange, he's just a dude. He's just a yeah. guy. Like, like <laughs> he's not even, like, anywhere close to, like, Hawkeye or, or any of, like, the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents or anything like that. He's a surgeon. So if something can get past his magic, he is very, very mortal. Um, and very very fragile but they haven't played with that very much he's i guess they've been so much you know about his powers and his you know building up dr strange as this kick-ass figure but i hope that that's something that they get into moving forward with his character because um yeah it's a very powerful uh 
world that he has access to, but it only affects people who play within that world. And as Marvel keeps showing us, there are many worlds. <laughs> so yeah. there are some adventures where Doctor Strange is, is handy to have around, and there are other times where he's, you know... <laughs> Because he's not even a surgeon anymore. That'd be my question too. Like with, I guess, with the powers that he imbues, he can use his hands in the ways he he used to before. So I guess if anyone needed uh, an emergency surgery, he'd be able to help you out. I guess. <laughs> couldn't save uh, couldn't save Tilda Swinton falling off that building though. <laughs> well, like here's that was the I guess elephant in the room. Everybody was upset with the ancient one. And it's funny because initially I got the feeling like it was Disney trying to avoid a controversy because the ancient one is such like an Asian cliche, the wizened, bearded, broken English, you know, stereotype that it is. So I guess I think the thought was, you know, we'll, we'll avoid it by changing it dramatically. But people were upset. I think I'd be more upset if I thought she sucked in the role, but she doesn't. I think she does the job. And um, yeah, I'm just going to choose not to be bothered by it. I mean, I, I think the, the smart move would be probably to like keep it with an Asian character, but update it significantly would have probably been the smart move. But I mean, if you can have Tilda Swinton in your movie, shit, <laughs> you know, have Tilda Swinton in, in like, I mean... That's not a bad call, necessarily. Um, and, yeah, so I guess, do I think the movie's whitewashing? I, I suppose you could call it guilty of it, but is it something that really hurt the movie? For me, it did not. Uh, I guess if that's something that's going to bother you, it's going to bother you. I hope it doesn't, though, because, again, the spectacle of the movie makes it worthwhile. There's a sequence where Doctor Strange is... Uh, been fighting this one particularly pesky pesky villain and their fight actually goes into the afterlife where they're they're in non-corporeal states and they're fighting in this room while rachel mcadams is trying to resuscitate dr stranger on a table all this crazy shit's going on around her she doesn't know what it is we do and it's an incredibly weird thing to try to describe let alone get across and it works really 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 well so this world that they introduced me to here makes me thirst and hunger for more of it. And it's been a long wait for more Doctor Strange, so I really hope Into the Multiverse pays off. And with rumored Sam Raimi at the helm, uh, my hopes are getting higher every day. <laughs> so, <laughs> is there anything yeah, else you want to... Yeah, because he was supposed to be Derrickson the second time around, and then they decided to go their separate ways. It's like, well, now what? And then but that makes a lot of sense. Like, not only has Raimi done, you know, his share of superhero movies with the Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire movies, but, you know, he's he's pretty comfortable in the horror genre. So if that was the way, if they were wanting to do horror, but horror light, yeah. Well, <laughs> like, and the, I think it'll work. And the multiverse sort of allows for a lot of craziness. And sort of like when we, we're going to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy right away here, but like... You know, in that world, we can have Howard the Duck and we can have all sorts of crazy shit. In the multiverse, like, there's that to the nth degree. That's right. So, if you want to put Sam Raimi with his crazy editing and his crazy whatever in there, like, I think that could work. But it's one of those things where it could go the other way, too. Like, But I'm interested. I'm interested. But um, is there anything else you wanted to say about this Doctor Strange? Uh, 
Um, no, I think we've pretty much kind of touched on everything. You know, it's again, it's it's setting the table. Not only does it introduce him, but we're starting to get some really specific Infinity Stone kind of stuff with the introduction of the Time Stone. So I you can't help but feel like, yeah, we're being primed, we're being primed. Even when I saw it, like when it kind of shortly after it came out, I remember thinking, oh, here we go. So it's it's a it's an appetizer for what's to come. Indeed. Does anybody have any tape out there? I want to put some tape over the death button. Nobody has any tape. Not a single person has tape. You have an atomic bomb in your bag. If anybody's going to have tape, it's you. I have to do everything. You are wasting a lot of time. That's a really bad sign. someone i can feel their feelings you feel love yeah i guess yeah i feel a general unselfish love for just about everybody no sexual love no no i don't for her no <laughs> she just told everyone your deepest darkest secret dude <laughs> come on i think you're overreacting a little bit you must be so embarrassed <laughs> do me do me do me we're about to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which is exciting enough. But this happens to be the 1,000th review. Wow. For Rankin Review. 1,000th review. That it, chronologically, in the order that I'm going, there's going to be a couple episodes that I've already recorded that are going to be uh, coming out after this one. <laughs> so, right. Uh, but as far as the order of me recording episodes... Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two is my one thousandth <laughs> review. Isn't that That's crazy. That's just how the math worked out. I didn't plan it this way. I didn't manipulate yeah. the episode. <laughs> this is like whatever the next episode was going to be. The third review that we did was going to be that. It's not like Citizen Kane or Godfather. That's right. no. The second installment. Of no, better than all of, the of those. But I have a gift for you uh, that at some point you can pick up where, when you're not scared of social distancing or the quarantine or whatever. I'll clean it up for you. I don't know if you can see me or what you can see of Miss... Oh, Marvel Encyclopedia, you are too kind. This is... It's... Well, I'm too kind to a point. It's a Marvel Encyclopedia of 10 years ago. So uh, it, it was current of when I believe <clears throat> the first Avengers movie came out. So it chronicles every Marvel character ever mentioned in any Marvel comic book <laughs> leading up to the release of this first Avengers movie. It's this huge, epic, big old book that you can enjoy, hopefully, with your daughter. when You, you guys are having your Marvel movie nights or something like that, if you need, like, yeah, a... Yeah, we'll bust them out. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> oh, I know. I uh, used. I can promise you that right now. <clears throat> Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for, you know, committing to doing all of these Marvel episodes for Rank and Review. And fate dictated that it would be Sky that would be here. Um, so I, I wanted just to give you a gift. And uh, it's it's been previously enjoyed by me, but I still wanted to... <laughs> I wanted to give you something, and this seemed appropriate. We're doing, the, we're, doing, we're doing the Marvel movies. Here's a Marvel book. So um, it'll be here at my house whenever you feel like you just drop me a line or something. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I won't go page by page and do louse the whole book, but I'm, I'm sure it's safe, dude. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
So, anyway. <clears throat> James Gunn, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2. <laughs> Um, we really, really poured a lot of love into Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, and, uh, I, 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 I adore it. I adore it. And, um, honestly, the big problem with volume two, if you can call it a problem, is that it had to follow <laughs> Guardians one and it's got sequel-itis. The world is not as new to us. So there's less to discover. It's this warm familiarity coming back to it, and I've got a smile on my face right away. The crew is fighting an interdimensional monster to classic 70s rock, and like right away, all smiles. My buddy, my buddy's worth already within the first few minutes of the movie, having a lot of fun. In the end of the day, despite all that smiles and despite as much as I had fun in the movie, do I think it lives up to Guardians 1? No, I guess I don't. I can't honestly say that it lives up to Guardians 1. It's a lot of fun. And that really is enough. And I got my money's worth. And that really is enough. But um, I, I'm, I'm hoping that like this is sort of like the middle chapter. It's certainly not as much of a dip as, say, like a Men in Black 2. But it would be really nice right. where it would be really nice if for the third one it kind of like finish the Guardians trilogy in a real sort of great strong way. Uh, I don't think it's as much to do with the villain in this one. I do honestly think that there was a special magic about the ingredients in the first movie and just the way the story was unfolded to us that there was something about that first movie that just was joy. <laughs> there was just pure joy to it. I'm thinking that it might, even though there was some darkness in the first movie, the level of darkness that they reach in volume two might have been the thing that actually, whereas everybody loves the Empire Strikes Back to go to another number two because they went dark, maybe a case could be made that they went too dark for Guardians sort of fun, punch, you know, punchy vibe. Um, but uh, that's just me speculating. Again, like I've been saying about lots of these movies, I usually open up with what my problems are. I'm largely super happy with the movie, right? Like, if my big complaint is that it's not as good as Guardians of the Galaxy, well, few fantasy movies are as good as Guardians of the Galaxy. So, like... <laughs> yeah, it, it takes... It does take a turn. Like, I remember the, there was... When, like, plot ideas were starting to kind of leak in terms of what they were looking for in casting, and they slightly modified it from, from the comics in terms of, you know, who... Peter Quill's dad is uh, Star-Lord. But I remember people just calling for Kurt Russell to get cast, like, right away. So it's one of those things where I can't help but feel like the fans got that, got Kurt Russell that gig. <laughs> and it is. It's, it's good casting opposite each other. And you kind of have a sense pretty early on. It's like, yeah, this is not going to go. This is not going to be the happy reunion. Those people who know the comics a bit more and know, you know where Ego is coming from, it's like, yeah, this is not going to... Well, like, I that I turn did. Feels really sharp to me. <laughs> yeah. Like the tone is they go from playing catch with the little ball of light to all of a sudden he's just like, yeah, well I'm just gonna suck the energy out of you then if you're not gonna yeah play on my team. Just like I did with all my other kids. Super yeah. dark. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Let me all we get Mantis introduced, which is great. You know, there's lots that they could do with her in terms of like her extensive plot lines in the comic books like they could pick like one of the many things that she's tied into and she could be in 
an infinitely more fascinating character on screen too. I will say that though, like, yes, it feels like a, a step back because the first one was just so bloody good. I think it's probably the best use of Fleetwood Mac, the chain. <laughs> <laughs> like we, in our household here, we just get juiced up when we know that part is coming. Like, just love it. And it's the best line maybe in all of the Marvel movies when he says, you know, you killed my mom and squished my Walkman. It's like, the battle can't live up to the line. Like, who who gets away with a line like that? Like, only James Gunn. So enjoyable. Um, James Gunn is, again, like, the magical ingredient here. Like, he seems to have taken the reins from Joss Whedon with his magical ability to juggle a crazy amount of characters and, like, make me feel like nobody got... To super short, short change. Even if they didn't get as much screen time as everyone else, they all had their moment or their their thing to do in the movie. Like they they didn't. Nobody felt superfluous or sort of benched, and that's a hard thing yeah. to manage. And I think Yondu comes out looking the best in terms of all the characters from the first movie to the second. Like they really did in terms of like the whole who's your real you know a real parent, the person who. Is genetically your parent or the person who actually raised you? Like yeah. I thought they they worked that in quite nicely, and it, it actually has a really strong emotional payoff at the end of this ridiculous sci-fi action movie. They redeemed Yondu. I, if you'll recall, Yondu was my big complaint about the first movie, and that I knew that we were supposed to love Yondu because I know James Gunn. First of all, loves Michael Rooker. He's practically his yeah. good luck charm. All his movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, because I know, like he plays. A, a big deal in the books that like we're supposed to he's supposed to kind of be like uh, a bit of a wild card but we're supposed to like him and for me they missed the part where I was to like him so they had to do a lot of work to make us like him in this movie which is exactly why I knew he was going to die long before right. he died <laughs> yeah. say what you will about the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie there was not a lot that I saw coming <laughs> Like, uh, I remember the first time I watched the movie in the theater when they're discussing the plans of their prison break, and all of a sudden Groot pulls the alarm and everything just starts. Uh, oh, we're not going through planning stages. This is it. Here we go, <laughs> right? Um, like, you were just absolutely along for the ride. You didn't have time to get ahead of the movie. In this one, I had time to get ahead of the movie. I totally knew Ego was going to be a problem, partly because his name is Ego. <laughs> <laughs> But no, this movie... Sometimes the comics don't help you out. No, it's true. But like the the movie wasn't going to be about, you know, Star-Lord bonding with his long-lost dad and having this, like, uh, Field of Dreams moment. Can we have a catch? You know, no. That's not the movie we're here to watch. And if that's the movie that you thought you were here to watch, well, the problem is you, right? But... It's it's infinitely more easy to call where it's going. There's stuff in the, introduced in the world that I like. Um, this whole, what do they call that group that they were uh, protecting the batteries for? Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know. I keep wanting to say the high evolutionary, but that's not. Like, that's another villain that that's in the comics that they think is probably tying into that. They're the super uh, perfect race. I can't remember their name of them off the top of my head, but they're like genetic. I might have written it down. I should take a look to see if I... Oh, the Sovereign. Sovereign, thank you. Down. I did write it down. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't I'm, I don't have great retention for... There's so many superhero names and stuff, in this, so I apologize. But yeah, they're these super perfect genetically, you know, 
amazing things and they look down on everyone else, you know, <laughs> as little bugs crawling on the on rocks to do their work for them. But um, I think that, like you're saying, as far as setting up for future things, we are going to be hearing more from the Sovereign. <laughs> and the Guardians have made a pretty big enemy for such a trivial thing. Like, Rocket steals a couple of these batteries basically on a whim just because they're there. And this is going to be a huge fucking problem moving forward. And that's ridiculous. That it's, yeah, that end credit scene too. Like they're teasing Adam Warlock for yeah. you know, those comic book fans. That's a huge deal breaker. So if that's <laughs> where we're going, it's yeah. And again, it's very Guardians of the Galaxy that something as big as Adam Warlock showing up was because of a petty theft by a raccoon, <laughs> right? Once again, a supervillain inadvertently created by our heroes. <laughs> But this is the movie too. This is this is the one where I'm gonna see if I can die on this hill. Where this is my my case of trying to make you change your ordering from the last one. So like when we did Phase Two, we were both super high on Winter Soldier mm-hmm. and Guardians, and I had Winter Soldier One, Guardians Two. You had Guardians One, Winter Soldier Two. It was a near think, thing. Yeah, and I think this is where I'm gonna try to make you change your mind. The fact that how difficult it is to make a second Marvel movie. That, sur- that clearly surpasses the first. Right. And for me, Winter Soldier, it was like, man, they didn't just like make a better movie. They got like exponentially better with Winter Soldier. And then so Volume 2 comes out of Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's like, nope, they just couldn't do it. <laughs> so for me, I think that's why I'm going to really keep pushing that Winter Soldier is the better film compared to Guardians because they pulled off, they, they cracked that sequel curse finally. For me, it's the joy in Guardians of the Galaxy. There's just something so lovely about the vibe of that movie. It just makes me happy. Uh, I, I, that, I think that's what won me to first place for it. And that vibe is present in the second one, but certainly not as as strong, I guess. Yeah. This is where I wash up on it. It and works. You know, like, talk about this one, too, is they really do a good job of kind of getting Nebula on side, too, in this one. Yeah. Someone who was clearly you know, an opponent in the first movie, they made it work like it seems like how the heck would this person be essentially part of the team now when it was so clearly not yet the sister angle works really well it's cool because nebula sort of got the the hulk treatment because as we've talked about the hulk can't have his own movie right now due to legal reasons so we just sort of see slow progressions in hulk movie to movie very much the same with um um Oh, you Nebula, just uh, Nebula. Like every time we see her, the Karen Gillan has she's sort of moved a little bit forward. It's not all pure hate. There's a little bit more thought behind the hate. Uh, it's more focused on her sister. It's more focused on her father. Uh, you, you know, we there's a real growth, and she doesn't get her movie to do it. It kind of happens a little piece at a time, which is kind of interesting. I like that. Um, what did you think about all of the Ravagers basically being executed summarily in this movie? Yeah, yeah. No, it, in terms of Yondu and Rocket just kind of taking them all out. Well, like, all of the good guys, all the people that side with Yondu get ejected into space. And the rest of them basically get killed. It seems like this movie had a real bloodthirst in killing off almost all of its supporting class. Like, you'd almost think this was the final chapter of Guardians of the Galaxy and they were doing house cleaning. 
It, there's some excessive death in this movie. Um, but on the on that, it's a bit of a sidebar, but it's totally related. Like that was like I think I've said before on a previous episode. The '90s run of Guardians of the Galaxy comic books; those were the ones I, I, I collected that right. that run. I have I have all was it 62 issues of it, and that's when they were still like, you know, in the year 3015. Like it's way in the, in the future. future. I mean, they they managed to pull some of that stuff and use it. Like Yondu's in that. Uh, Ving Rhames, he has this you know kind of cameo in Volume Two. You know, he's credited as being Charlie 27, who's also a character from that future version of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Anyways, the whole bit with the guy named Taserface, mm-hmm. like, that's one of the villains that gets introduced, like, early on in, like, a one- or two-issue run named Taserface. I just love the fact that they took this little nugget of the comic run in the 90s and made it this joke. And yet, like, I'm sure the fanboys who recognized that really appreciated. Like, they didn't have to call him Taserface. That was for us. That was for us, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what more I want to say about Volume 2. Like, uh, a nice sort of uh, cameo is, like you say, uh, Sylvester Stallone shows up here, <laughs> which is kind of interesting to see him applying his mug to the Marvel Universe. And it's yeah. one of the better of the de-agings that I've seen that's been very popular recently in Hollywood. We saw it in It Chapter 2. We saw it, of course, in The Irishman. And I think because they have so much reference from young Kurt Russell that it was a, a, a an easier job, maybe. And because it, didn't, it wasn't as pro- protracted, we didn't have like scene after scene of it to sort right. of really pick away at the special effects. I think it just worked better. I, I have this terrible thought that as much as I like the Irishman and it chapter two, they're going to age poorly because of those effects. Um, yeah, it is interesting when you go back and you watch something a few years, you know, more than a few years later, you're like, oh, I remember that being amazing in the movie theater. And now it just, whether it's because you're watching it on a high definition television, just like, yeah, some of these things just don't look as good as my memory holds them up to look. Or even if it's good, there's something about young man face on old man body that just doesn't read. It's uncanny. Anyway, I think we've stopped talking about volume two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as much as I think fun. we spend a lot of time on the negatives, it's not a bad movie at all. It's, at a, all. it's, a, it's a lot of fun. I just think it had big shoes to fill. Uh, and uh, I walked away happy, but no, I don't think that they, that they, met, they met the first movie. You guys are losers. So to become an Avenger, are there like trials or an interview? Just don't do anything I would do. And definitely don't do anything I wouldn't do. There's a little gray area in there and that's where you operate. Oh, all right. That's not a hug, I'm just grabbing the door for you. All right, kid. Good luck out there. I'm feeling rough, I'm feeling Listen, I know school sucks. Peter, you still with us? Uh, yeah, yeah. I know you want to save the world. But you're not ready yet. You're the Spider-Man. No, I'm not. I'm not. This is just a costume. This is from the ceiling. Stay close to the ground and stay out of trouble. Forget the flying monster guy. There are people who handle this sort of thing. I'm sick of him treating me like a kid all the time. But you are a kid. This is my chance to prove myself. 
Peter, what is going on with you? I'm really sorry. I'm so busy. I'm slammed. Don't mess with me. Because I will kill you and everybody you love. So I think that the two smartest things that the Marvel Studios did as far as Spider-Man Homecoming were not going the route of another Spider-Man origin movie, which would have been like the third Spider-Man origin movie in close to 10 years or something like that. The world did not need another origin story for Spider-Man. And they knew that. The other choice was for the first time ever, Spider-Man is, for the love of God, an actual fucking teenager. Not a 35-year-old pretending to be a teenager, or not, you know, just skipping past the teenage years into the... A legitimate teenager with legitimate teenage foibles, where, like, this whole B-plot that could have been pulled out of Degrassi Junior High, which is sort of adorable, but I actually really think is part of what is the spine of what makes the movie work emotionally. Is because right. we care about the high school bullshit as much as the high tech, uh, you know, heists that are going off. Um, so those are the two great choices out of the gate. And then the wild card, the thing that you know made me excited about it was the strangely meta casting of Michael Keaton as the Vulture. Not only has he, of course, played Batman, but he kind of revitalized his own career in this Birdman movie where he played an actor who played a superhero who was a bird. And then one of his next projects, he's the vulture in a Spider-Man movie, a supervillain who is a bird. And it's just like the, the snake is eating its tail, but I'm loving it. I believe that it's never going to hurt your movie to have Michael Keaton in it. It doesn't guarantee you that your movie is going to be good, but it's not going to hurt your movie if you have Michael Keaton in it. It's going to be a boon for you. And uh, the movie ended up really exceeding my expectations because I think I, like a lot of people, went into it thinking, I don't know how excited I am for another Spider-Man movie. And I walked out of it thinking, it turns out I was pretty excited for a new Spider-Man movie. So yes, I come in very impressed with Spider-Man Homecoming. I think with what by taking his origin story kind of out of the mix and just more alluding to it in Civil War in his conversation with Tony, Tony Stark, you just kind of get it talked about. You realize that it's a fairly new thing. He's doing stuff on his own. But having this, this angle of Tony Stark being the mentor and giving him all these gadgets, the fun is watching him trying to figure out what the hell this suit of his Can does. Do. Yeah. And this whole idea too, you know, the training wheels protocol and things like that. And, you know, I want to be an Avenger. I want to be an Avenger. And he's like, no, you're not ready for that yet. And like, I really like that push and pull of the story. And yeah, I think you're right. Like I've always said, even when Tony McGuire was cast and those first movies came out, like I remember really enjoying them, watching them in the movie theater. And my, my big thing is always like, you can't, Superhero is easy to cast, especially nowadays, because CG you can pretty much Does do a lot of the work. Do in motion capture. Yeah, you need someone who can play Peter Parker. Uh-huh. And you know, Tom Holland is really freaking good at it. Well, he was in a movie I really thought got uh, treated shitty, The Impossible. 
with the you and McGregor and Naomi Watts and the you know the n- terrible natural disaster that the that his family survived and he was the older kid in that movie and I remember thinking you know young actor a lot is being asked of you you know surviving the tsunami and uh, you did a really good job and he's playing Spider Man and he seems to understand that. Like you said, Peter Parker is going to be the important thing here. We have to love Peter Parker because it's hard, as much as we enjoy the spectacle of Spider-Man doing his thing, it's hard to connect to the red tights and, you know, him bounding around the screen. We have to believe when he takes that mask off that he's just a kind of a naive kid like we all used to be. I honestly do believe that is the appeal of the Spider-Man character, that he was a superhero, but he was a kid and every bit as awkward and, you know, mystified by the world as the kids who were reading the comic book. As far as an identifiable character, Spider-Man was the most identifiable character for comic book readers because he was that nerdy kid, right? Exactly. He was afraid to talk to the girl that he liked or Exactly. Yeah, and uh, but, like, when you're making the pitch to the studio, you're going to say, no, we got to lean hard on the high school politics. They're going to say, no, you got to lean hard on the web slinging. (laughs) I have to say, Sky, my jaw legitimately dropped when I found out that his girlfriend's dad was Michael Keaton. That was a twist. Great casting. You did. It came out of nowhere. I mean, when I watched it for the first time, I made an audible, oh, (laughs) And I, I, I kind of felt stupid afterwards. Like, uh, I, 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 when I rewatched it, like, they did, there's not a lot of tells for it at all. But, like, it, it kind of makes sense story-wise that, that this would happen. But it wasn't like Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I did not see that twist coming at all. Yeah. Agreed. And I thought, I think they do a really good, like, it's Michael Giacchino who does the score, who's one of my favorite composers. He was actually in on Strange as well. But they do a really good job, a la James gun with the Guardians movies of using really great familiar pop songs in terms of the backdrop for a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, which good. It just makes you, yeah, the credit sequences are like, not that you're waiting for the movie to be over, but it is like, oh, that's a great pick for the credits. Like, yeah, I love those kind of details. Well, and I gotta say, the this Vulture villain, there's, it was really well thought out. This is another villain created by our heroes. He and his company show up with a bunch of trucks and a whole crew to help clean up New York in the, after the disaster that was depicted in the first Avengers movie. But Tony Skidark has some contract with the government, and he sends these guys running. And they showed up, they were there, and they were ready to do the cleanup, and their whole deal was to clean up after disasters. They were vultures, as it were, right? Yep. Uh, after he gets fired... He and his crew steal some of the, the alien tech that they'd already managed to clear, clear up and have been using that tech to develop other things and sell weapons illegally. And this is having a ripple effect for crime and chaos in the city. But that is all way more thought out and way more interesting than the Vulture has ever been to me in my recollection. <laughs> and he's yeah. a nice guy guy i guess like he does kill one of his own bad guys which is a classic super villain like kill your own henchman move but i don't think he does it he thought it was on a different setting yeah he he was gonna make him like zero g for a few minutes and float him around the room and give him a lecture or give him a um, shame him somehow oops wrong button but uh it's (laughs) funny because in a way that's a funny scene but in a way in that moment he crosses a line and michael keaton's a good enough actor that you see that read on his face. 
he was a criminal, yeah. but at that moment he just became a murderer. Yeah. The best for me, the best scene in the whole movie is when he's driving them to the prom, and after she gets out, with him sitting in the front seat and Parker in the back, and this, we both know who each other are. Conversation. Yeah. It's it's, and again, it kind of reminds me almost of like. Not to compare these two to these two, but you know, like in Heat, you got Pacino and De Niro. It's just a conversation scene, yet it's like kind of the most interesting scene in the whole movie. That's came to mind at this. Like it's two actors sitting in a car, dialogue in a movie filled with action sequences and green screens. Yeah, well, that was the heart. Here's the one problem I think plot-wise that does exist in the movie. I agree with you. I love that confrontation scene, but the way it's played anyway, like he realizes in the car who Peter is, right? Like yeah. it wasn't when they first opened the door. Peter knows as soon as he opens the door. Michael Keaton figures it out within being in his presence for like um so he basically says, you got to stay out of my way or I'll squish you. He goes into the prom, ditches his date, turns around, and there's already a supervillain waiting outside to fight yes. him. Vulture didn't even know that that was Spider-Man. That does not make sense. Like, even if he was on the phone the second that he pulled away from that high school, there's no way that guy's there set to go in that short yeah. period of time. It's just like they needed to get to the exciting third act of the movie, so a fight happened right outside of the prom, and they, they kind of rushed that a little bit. Yeah, totally. I agree, hundred um, percent. Other things too that you know that, that they're laying in there, like laying in Scorpion for being a right? villain in the future if they want. They worked in Donald Glover. I'd forgotten that Donald Glover was in the movie for some reason, but there he was. <laughs> yeah, and, and if they want, like, I know it depends on how you kind of tie in from what's in the comics, but, like, he's playing, his character is Miles Morales' uncle, so they can make him the Prowler, right. and Miles becomes, like, the other Spider-Man. So they've just kind of planted these seeds just in case they want to go that route. They, they might not, and they don't have to, but... There, nice. it's there. Yeah, I love those little things like oh, okay yeah. threads for other directors and people to pick up later on if they want how refreshing is Marissa Tomei as uh, Aunt May Aunt May <laughs> Aunt May all of a sudden is like a yummy mummy you know yeah. <laughs> like, instead of this like brittle old lady well actually I remember reading that like when the cat when that casting kind of came out for like because she's in Civil War as well getting introduced to her I'm like what Right, because you automatically have in your head like yeah. Ben and May are like old, and it's like no, yeah, why not? Like, look, if you're going to have a younger Peter, you can have a younger Aunt May. Yeah, and she's good comic relief, and uh, it, it's a different dynamic between the two that we've seen in every other incarnation of Spider-Man. And because this is a legitimately younger Spider-Man that we're finally seeing, why not give us a younger Aunt May? Like, again, really smart choices throughout the film. And, you know, like, giving him, like, Ned, the whole, you know, man and chair sidekick stuff. Like, it's all so fun, and, and, and it all pays off, too. It's not just there just to be silly or to get a few laughs. Like, no, like, they're friends. Yeah. They're his friends. his buddy, develop, his buddy crawls into the room on the ceiling and drops on the floor and then tries to deny that he's Spider-Man. <laughs> no, dude. No, no, no. <laughs> The cat is out of the bag, brother. 
Um, yeah, no, um, big points for Homecoming and uh, big points for John Watts, who I guess not done a ton of things before this, but um, he did this Kevin Bacon thriller called Cop Car, which I quite liked. I didn't realize that he was the same director of that, and had done some work for The Onion. Well, they did some sketchy sort of video feed stuff for The Onion satire magazine. All of a sudden, he's put in the center of a huge Marvel movie, and I think he came out quite strong. So, yeah. Another another solid hit for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> good enough? Yep, good enough. So much has happened since I last saw you. I lost my hammer, like yesterday, so that's still pretty fresh. And then I went on a journey of self-discovery. Where I met you. Death has invaded Asgard. Oh, I've missed this. And you and I had a fight recently. Did I win? No, I won easily. Doesn't sound right. Well, that's true. Asgard is dead. And it'll be reborn in my image. I thought you'd be glad to see me. We need to stop her here and now to prevent Ragnarok, the end of everything. So I'm putting together a team. Like the old days. Surprise! This will be such fun. Hello. Hi. Taika Watiti, I hope I'm saying that correctly. I think that's right. Uh, that's how I know. He did this really, really deeply charming New Zealand vampire faux documentary called What We Do in the Shadows. It's made into a TV show. I haven't seen the TV show, but I am a big, big, big fan of that movie. And uh, I've, uh, The Hunt for the Wilder People. He's done a few other very interesting things. I have yet to see this uh, Jojo Rabbit movie that he's come out with recently and got Oscar nominated and things like this. But yeah, and won. He won the screenplay. There Oscar you go. For it. I, don't, I don't watch the Oscars. I love movies too much to respect the Oscars. <laughs> uh, Thor Ragnarok was his contribution to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And to begin, it's fucking awesome. It's fucking awesome. It is so much fun. It is exactly kind of like the high energy adventure that we needed. It is its own little pocket entity. It happens in a, in the far reaches of space, but um, uh, it has an amazing villain with Kate Blanchett playing the part, and um, it sort of combines this sort of the the. the Hera storyline from Thor, this sister that Thor finds out he has, who's like a goddess of death, and this Planet Hulk storyline, which I actually watched an animated film adaptation of that with my son, not knowing what we were watching when he was too young for it, because it was super, <laughs> super dark and, and violent and scary. But 
they kind of mashed these two stories together. And in spite of the fact that both of those stories, at least in their original conceit, were very dark, quote, you know, adult Marvel scary tales, they decided, no, we're going to tell these dark tales and we're going to do it in as sort of a fun, amblin entertainment kind of way as we possibly can. Like, uh, I saw Taika Waititi interviewed about it and he said he wanted kids to walk out of this movie feeling like he did when he walked out of The Goonies. Like, that they'd just been taken on an adventure, that they had no concept could exist until they walked into that theater and it was put in front of them. And um, it is, far and away, the best of the Thor movies, handily. And it's high on the list of the best Marvel movies I've seen so far. And it covers a lot of ground. Like, they have to uh, sort of set up Hera, and they have to basically finish off the Anthony Hopkins character, get Loki and, um, and Thor sort of set up and separated, set up the world of this tournament, which is led by the always impressive Jeffrey Goldblum, and watch Thor's kingdom basically be usurped by Hera. All, Hela, Hela. Hela, pardon me. Yeah. All while laughing, smiling, and shoveling in popcorn. Even the most ridiculous elements of this movie, uh, which I would maybe argue is his Hulk fighting a giant wolf on a waterfall. Like, again, you say that out loud and it just seems like, what, what, what? But the movie completely earns it. And uh, I just, I, I had a blast with it. And it, it, it's a, a tough thing to balance because, again, there's darkness, there's high stakes, there's, like, major losses for, for Thor personally. But it comes out as to be such a, a, a victory for Thor's character is that, uh, again, I don't want to ruin things moving forward. But one of my big disappointments, if that's fair to say, about the Infinity War series that we're about to knock into is how much... Thor Ragnarok accomplished that gets completely undone. They completely alien three Thor Ragnarok at the beginning of the Infinity Wars. Everything that is accomplished in this movie for Thor as a character and for like like that adventure, him regaining his kingdom as it were, is undone in the first few minutes of another movie following it up. But if you go into the movie not knowing that and just watching it as an isolated adventure as itself, as far as I'm concerned, it's as good as any Marvel movie that we've reviewed so far. Uh, yeah, I'm high on it too. Although I can tell I'm not as high as you. Okay. Uh, I think I think we're at, so yes, I don't disagree with any of all, any of that. So maybe I'll probably I'll highlight the things for me where it takes a step. Back. I actually found Blanchett a bit indulgent. Oh yeah. Um, not that it didn't fit with the the genre of the movie. Like it's not like what the hell she's in her own movie. But like it's she was kind of the same the same thing the whole time. And I don't know. Maybe what, what are you looking for? Like, <laughs> in a, see, it, for me, it sounds like you're talking about Kate Blanchett in that Indiana Jones movie. If you were talking about the Indiana Jones movie with Kate Blanchett, then I would agree with you. But I don't know. I I, I kind of thought she was having fun with it. Maybe it's she just was having fun, and I think that's just it. Sometimes I see the actors having fun making the movie, right? And 
not exactly serving the story. Like, I know they did a lot of improv, and most of it works really well, but sometimes I'm like, okay, you're just letting that bit go on too long. Right. Or someone else needed to come along and just go, you didn't need that. And it's a common and possibly fair complaint that this movie over overpresses the gas on the comedy a little bit and that that can undercut the stakes. And I understand that argument. I just, for me, it, it just worked. Especially... And again, I'm going to sound like I'm fitting on it, and I'm not. Like, I'm really high on this movie. Yeah. Like, it, it, it took things into a, a realm, like, sonically. Like, I think it's like, it's Mark Mothersbaugh from, like, Devo. That's who Taika Waititi got to do that score. Like that's yeah. why it sounds so like seventies retro. I was like, that's because they got Devo for the music. <laughs> well, and just like in a way, I talked about with Captain America three how the fight at the at the airport, as much as it was an amazing spectacle, was fundamentally kind of silly and comic book, and you kind of had to let go in order to enjoy it. The yeah. fight between Thor and Hulk is set up enough. And Hulk has sort of, like, uh, been stuck in monster mode for long enough that yeah. I buy the fight, and the fight pays off hugely. And I love yeah. the I love the uh, sort of relationship between Thor and monster version of Hulk that develops afterwards. Oh, it's the best part of the movie. And one Loki, too, like, you get the payoff, too, of Loki absolutely cheering, like, absolutely just getting super pumped watching Thor getting Ragdoll, yeah. <laughs> That's how it feels. That's how it feels. (laughs) And again, that wouldn't pay off for everybody, but for those who it paid off for, everyone saw what it was going for. But you you didn't need to have seen Avengers for that to be a strong moment in the movie. It had definitely helped, but you didn't need it. There's Um, some tweaks, too. I'm like, oh, that's kind of a neat corner. And I'm like, it didn't bug me. They're like, why haven't they done that before? But the... Thor kind of getting to see through Heimdall's eyes to kind of see what's going on yeah. back at Asgard. Like little kind of plot things. I thought there's some really neat storytelling things like, hey, we're going to put you in this scene even though you're not really there so you get a sense of what's happening. Yeah, but that's again where we run into, and again, it's not a problem with this movie. It's just a problem with things going forward. He learns basically in this movie that he doesn't need a hammer to be the god of thunder. He's just the it's god of thunder. my favorite line of the whole movie. Yeah. The god of hammers? Like it's... But the next movie that deals with Thor, what's he got to do? He's got to forge a new hammer. Because he's nothing without his fucking hammer, right? Uh, his kingdom or, or everything that was accomplished at the end of this movie is readily undone very immediately. Which kind of takes away from the happy vibe that I had going out of Thor Ragnarok and into the next Avengers movie. But again, I can't take points away from this movie for a subsequent one. I also think that part of the reason I love this movie so much is that I saw it with my kids, and as much as I loved it, they thought it was amazing, especially Tristan was, like, super into it, which is why I've seen this a lot of times. So many times, yeah. But, because I have seen it several times, I can say that it does hold up to repeat viewings, and it does have a good pace and energy to it that, like, it, 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 it holds up to that like it it stands to repeat viewings in in a way better than a lot of the other marvel movies will for me even though they're good movies they're just like uh, if i watched i don't know if i watched even winter soldier like five times in three months i would be like when when on winter soldier it's a fucking awesome movie but like when (laughs) right there's something really easy about 
about Ragnarok. There's something about the joy of the movie. It opens with Thor fighting this huge demon guy and all of his minions and uh, having put himself in danger. And right away, they sort of perfect, like, or, or they illustrate the tone of this movie, right? Here's some spectacle yeah. and some stakes, and here's Thor undercutting it. <laughs> and the dialogue uh, that he has while he's dangling, like, sets the tone, like, from, like, wait, wait, wait. Wait, I yeah. come back around. I'm like, not doing this on like, purpose. Oh, I'm going to enjoy this movie from beginning to end. <laughs> yeah. Like I knew in that in that instant that I was going to love it. It's the pitch. I've heard the Coen brothers, I mentioned this on the podcast before, and I worship the Coen brothers, but I've heard the Coen brothers talk about how they see directing as a largely managing tone. Like there's all sorts of technical things that you're considering and details that you're considering, but you want to have this measured tone for your movie. And if you stray too far from it, you've broken that. So you want to sustain and respect that tone. And there's something so specific about Taika Waititi's comedy specifically. It's very present in what we do in the shadows. And it's definitely present here where you're somehow in on the joke. It's, it's, it's almost like we've agreed. We have this sort of agreement with each other that even though this is undercutting the stakes and a little bit silly, we're doing it because it's fun and we're just going to agree to let it happen. And it's a big ask, but right away in the first scene, it's accomplished. And once it's accomplished and, you know, the Zeppelin kicks in and the movie sort of shows us what it's going to be, I just sit back and I'm like, let's do this. It's like the equivalent of like uh, just just giving in to the ride at the carnival, <laughs> you know? Well, and that's one of those stories that I, I heard at some point, and I don't know if it's 100% true, so take it with a grain of salt, is that, you know, what D.D. kind of cut together his kind of smash version of what, you know, his pitch of what it would look like. And, and the rumor has it that he had the immigrant song, the Zeppelin track in that version, just as more of as a placeholder right. to kind of give them the feel of what something would look like and cut it with footage from other Thor movies and whatever. And like, Oh no, that's great. We need to go get the rights for that and see if we can actually put it in the movie. <laughs> that's going to be expensive, but it's going to be yeah, worth it. That's going to be worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and again, do you, do you think that it was too much humor? I think that's the major complaint that some people had, that this is almost a straight comedy. And considering the stakes of what's going on, is that appropriate? No, no I wouldn't say it was just, there was just for me, it's only speaking personally, for moments, it just happened every now and then. Where I'm like, ah, oh, they let the improv bit just go on a little too long. It's not that it was not good or well-placed. Just sometimes it would just feel like there's a couple beats too long. Hmm. I know. Um, and, and, and it didn't happen often, but there's a couple times like, I think Ruffalo was about to crack. Like, I think the one <laughs> take they took of him when they're like trying to hide in the street and he's wearing Tony's outfits and they're having to no, I totally like you better. And <laughs> like that whole bit. Yeah. Look at Ruffalo. He's actually about to corpse. Yeah. <laughs> they had fun making the movie, but I'm like, I just don't know if, but I, I don't know, I really like those scenes because he's he's on an alien. He basically woke up several years later on an alien planet. And now he's wearing Tony Stark's clothes and and hiding in a crowd of full of aliens. And he just has to, like, adapt. And, and I don't know, I really appreciated the, the humor of that. And uh, my kid's favorite was when he bravely jumps out of the hover vehicle or of the spaceship, assuming that he's going to change on the way down and just hits the ground. 
like a mosquito on a windshield. Ow. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I think that if they'd gone full dark, because we'd learned from Thor too that dark Thor is not as fun. You know, it's just not as doesn't fit with Thor as well. There is something so big and ridiculous about Thor that like the marriage of, of Thor and Bernard really worked in that first movie. Um, and I don't know. I think that it took the best aspects of the first and second movie and balanced them about as perfectly as as, as I could have imagined. Yeah, well, I think we've seen right as early as the first one, the whole fish out of water kind of element. Like Hemsworth is a really great comedic actor. Yeah, and and you know why not let him run with it? Yeah. But uh, the, the stories always have to be taking things from Thor. They always have to be hurting Thor, and Thor always has to be suffering, which is good narratively for storytelling and adventure. But uh, it turns out what Thor's really good at is making us smile and, and yeah. the, the, the humor. Um, I guess it's also close to being a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. It feels like of the same world of Guardians of the Galaxy. In a way, it comes closer to that that joyful feelings of Guardians of the Galaxy than Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 did for me. Yeah, I would agree. I would um, agree with that. And I, I don't think it's a mistake that, you know, in the movies to come, that they introduce Thor to the Guardians and that, you know, that they're going to... It appears that, that they're going to try to keep that relationship alive in some form in some of the future movies the as guardians of the galaxy as they're calling it yeah i know there was a comic run where they actually did have the title was the as guardians of the galaxy that's awesome we'll see if they pick it up because thor has this whole other sister in the comics from like another dimension or something like that that he didn't know so if they're gonna pull up that angle or not or if it's gonna let it be who knows but well there's so many places they can go the comics have been around for ages oh my god well, I think I've made my case. I am a big fan of Ragnarok. <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted to say, man? Um, we didn't mention Valkyrie. I thought she was really good. Yeah, Tessa Thompson's good. I heard that whole image sequence, too, where Loki kind of gets her backstory. Yeah. I thought it was some really great visuals. Seeing Jeff her Goldblum... And... makes sense to me. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Seeing Goldblum in the Marvel Universe is interesting because there's something so specific about that guy. Like I said, I love me your Jeff Goldblums and your Christopher Walkins, but they never vanish into the roles, right? It's you're always, you know, unmistakable. Yeah, that's true. So that's true. It's, it's Goldblum. Yeah, you're, you're not going to be like, who's that? No, that was very definitely Jeff Goldblum. And it was a good use of him. It's kind of implied in the post credit scene that he's uh, going to meet a grim fate, but I would be very happy to see his character show up again at some point, too. Well, yeah, and like, it's one of those things, too, where, like, you know, Del Toro playing the collector, memory serves, the Grandmaster, who's played with Goldblum, they're, they're brothers. They're part of the, you know, like, the uh, kind of long-living entities that are around in the universe so if they choose to pick up that baton that'd be all sorts of a weird off between del toro and <laughs> Bloom, but i wouldn't mind watching i would watch the shit out of that movie i waited my entire life for this the world's gonna start over i'm gonna burn it all what happens now determines what happens to the rest of the world.
to plug in, turn on, and cop out. What time that for The revolution will not be televised. Let's have some fun. The revolution will be live. So, uh, Ryan Coogler directed Black Panther. He did a movie that I saw called Fruitville Station, which was really heartbreaking. And uh, he did a movie that I haven't seen yet called Creed. <laughs> and did he do the sequel as well? I can't remember. Uh. I think he produced it. I don't think in the end he directed the, the sequel. Anyway, he's involved with the Creed franchise. Um, and so uh, here he is with this huge, huge monster hit of uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, Chadwick Boseman, may he rest in peace, playing the title character, was introduced in Civil War. But now yeah. we get a much bigger, much more epic, fleshed-out origin story. And one of the better Marvel villains that we've come across yes. in the series so far. I say a lot of really complimentary things going in. I'm also going to say this is, for me, easily the most overrated Marvel movie of all time. I'm not going to sit here and talk shit about it. It's not a bad movie. But I do think it's ridiculous that it was nominated for Best Picture. I don't know that any Marvel movie is like Best Picture material necessarily, but if there is one, it's not Black Panther. It's completely good. It's a lot of fun. And I have so much, like, there's so much almost there with that Michael B. Jordan character that, like, uh, it's almost the best villain they ever had if they just, oh, just like it's so close that it stings to me. Um, the movie works front to back. Again, I'm not going to say anything shitty about it, but I am going to say that I am nowhere near as excited about Black Panther as it seems like everybody else is. I'm curious to see where they go going forward, but uh, I, I also kind of felt like they go forward having gotten rid of the best character that they introduced <laughs> so <clears throat> solid and again this is a solid bunch of movies but it's not going to rank high on the list for me spoilers and considering all the fuss and bother made about it when it came out it feels like this is supposed to be my number one with a bullet i would say right. it's another very solid marvel movie absolutely but that's as that's 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 about as far as i can go and in this list just being another solid marvel movie is not going to get you in the top half so um, I like Black Panther, but I, I, I don't love it. So uh, where, where, where have I gone wrong? <laughs> your opinion's your opinion, man. <laughs> I think the biggest thing I wrote down to myself um, in terms of a note is, is I thought it was interesting where they ended this one. It's very much making Wakanda the Iron Man. Like... <laughs> At the end of Iron Man 1, Tony's like, I am Iron Man. He's just coming clean. Yeah. Where at the end of this movie, I know it's like in the med, the mid-credit scene, not post-credit, but they're at the UN and they're basically saying they're about to come clean with actually we are not who you think we are. And I just thought that was kind of an interesting notion of this country has had this secret identity for all these years. I think what plays well and obviously it struck so many chords with so many people and I've seen uh, Chadwick Boseman in an interview it was, it was one of those um, 
actor on actor interviews. So it was him and Viggo Mortensen. So obviously it was because of the press stuff of Green Book and Black Panther, and they were pairing up people to do interviews. And Mortensen asked him about the whole notion of, you know, you've got some people saying, well, we can't let people in, like this whole immigration angle mm. that was going on. And Bozeman saying, like, Coogler had written that, like, he'd written it ahead of time. It's not something like they put in because of what was happening in the States and the rhetoric from Trump and, like, that kind of political stuff. Um, it was just something that they had to talk about, are we going to keep it in because it's going to look like we did it on purpose? Like, well, it's what's happening. Yeah. Um, maybe this isn't a standalone reason for Black Panther because they kept doing it. I think we talked about it on Winter Soldier, like, surveillance. Like, they were putting that movie out and shooting it when everything was talking about, you know, Snowden and like what the government was doing in surveillance. Like they keep hitting on these themes, even though they're superhero movies for Christ's sake, but they're, they're tapping into topics mistakenly sometimes about what's going on in the world around us. Well, so I think that's part of the reason why it was such a hit at the time that it was, as well as it's a production aspect that no other marvel movie can touch because like, you know sci-fi don't get me wrong i'm not trying to slag people that do that work it's very much an imaginative you can kind of make up what you want this is this real kind of neat, neat mix of like well we want to base it in historical african culture but we get to do some really cool things with technology and sci-fi and we mash it together and we can do what we want i think just for a lot of people that is ending really really exciting um, I think for me, when I was talking about Civil War and how I loved the fight at the airport, but it was fundamentally silly, I think mm -hmm. that this movie has that problem with it as well. While I was watching the movie, I'm not that bothered by it, but then I think about it afterwards. So you have an entire country with future tech and have had this tech for generations, presumably, and you have saw, stood there and watched with indifference all of the world possible world-ending shit that's played out up to this point with indifference. That kind of makes you almost a villain. Like that that level of indifference is is problematic for me, and it's never really adequately adjust, uh, addressed. And they're trying to make Michael P. Jordan this really conflicted villain, but they keep on making him about fifteen percent too evil. Right. Like, if he'd just stolen the artifacts from the museum, but not coldly killed everybody there and given them that speech, <clears throat> then I could see uh, I relate to him a little bit more. If it was more about avenging the death of his father than it was about ceding power for himself, I could feel more on board with his character. He kills his girlfriend with the cold indifference of a supervillain, all while they're trying to tell us that he's conflicted. He's almost there. He's so close to being your best ever Marvel villain, but you drop the ball just a little bit. And it, the movie gets like more and more big and more and more cartoony as it goes along, until the end literally feels Pixar to me. That final battle between... Um, Black Panther and uh, Killmonger with the train sequence and the flipping through the air has no reality, no weight to it to me. Like, I couldn't feel the stakes of the fight because I just re I'm watching a cartoon. And I was watching a cartoon in Civil War, but I never clocked it because right. I, I just well, I was having too much fun. I was invested. I wasn't invested enough to get through to that finish line. 
I kept on hearing about how amazing Killmonger was, and maybe that was part of the problem too, because right. I came into it after it was this Oscar nominated, this is the greatest like superhero movie ever. And the performance lives up to that, but the character doesn't, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, the I movie does end up belonging to Chadwick Boseman, and maybe it should have belonged to Michael B. Jordan. Maybe this should have been the origin story of Black Panther and Michael B. Jordan should have been Black Panther. Maybe this should have been the fall of the old corrupt Wakanda and the birth of the new one, you know? But again, should I be rating the movie on what I think it should have been as to what it is? It's still completely entertaining. I keep on, like, talking shit about it, but then trying to, like, <laughs> double back. It's a lot of fun. And again, like, I love what they're trying to do. I just wish that they'd close the deal for me. Yeah, I think with Killmonger, it's because, you know, he's also this trained black ops soldier who's killed lots of people they let that aspect of the character right i think dominate some of the other opportunities that you're addressing where like well it could have been like i think where they really nailed it is when he takes the the herb right the heart-shaped herb and he goes into the ancestral plane and he talks to his father as that sequence where he's sitting with his dad and it intercuts with him as a kid and him as an adult wearing the same outfit that he's wearing like that's his fine that's his finest scene in the whole movie for sure michael b jordan it's great yeah, yeah. there is a spirituality like i every time um um t'challa goes to the astral plane too there's a spirituality in this film that the that the others don't have and i'm not a spiritual guy i'm not religious at all but I liked it a lot but like, there's something that, about that ability to then talk to your ancestors or who wouldn't want to have a conversation with a deceased parent one last time and you know so like there's that kind of element that I, I, I really really enjoy that maybe not in the same way that Doctor Strange just sets apart with the mysticism but there's something with the spiritual nature of this one too that kind of makes it stand alone well, and, and then you got Kendrick Lamar in your soundtrack too that <laughs> makes me happy well, I think it's sort of the sort of the mix between like the metaphysical supernatural Doctor Strange and the sci-fi high armor military tech of Iron Man and with Black Panther you're getting the best of both worlds because he has both yeah. of those. He's got a foot in both worlds, which kind of makes him more interesting. And we haven't seen this character before. I really like watching an origin story where I don't know the origin story so I can sort of n not I find it easier to, to click off that analytical side of my brain when, when that's right. happening because it's just it, it's better for me all around I keep I'm I listening to myself like Shuri too like I think that's probably I think she was a hit oh yeah in terms uh that was another thing I read in an interview that was great that while they were shooting Black Panther I don't think it was Coogler himself but someone that was doing a Black Panther probably a producer went over to the Russos as they were prepping um, Infinity War and Endgame and they said you're going to want to make more out of Shuri because the stuff that's coming back in Black Panther like <laughs> they knew that she was going to blow up they're like, going to like love this character you're going to want to make sure you use her more in Infinity War and like oh okay so they start like <laughs> cut her in uh, there's good surprising moments to the movie too um, we um, lost what's this the, the Ulysses Klaus that uh, Andy Serkis character yeah, <clears throat> he's been in a couple other Marvel movies, and we kind of wanted to see what card he was going to play. And I was sort of surprised—not necessarily that he died, but how he died. It was kind of yeah. fairly sudden and matter of fact. That scene almost felt out of Winter Soldier, you know. 
Um, but again, I, I just wish, I, I wish Killmonger was a little bit less evil. And I wish that the last act of the movie felt a little bit less cartoony. Um, those are my two big frustrations with it because I went in expecting Killmonger to be the thing I loved about the movie. Uh, it's kind of got a Joker thing happening for me. Whereas I'm, I'm uh, same thing with the Joker. I think the performance is absolutely great, but I think the characterization is vastly overrated. I would say that about the Dark Knight, and I would say that about the Black Panther. Is there anything else you wanted to say about Black Panther? Um, just doing a quick look at my notes. I don't think so. Other than. If I'm talking somebody out of watching this movie, then I'm failing because it is really good. I think because it was the best picture Oscar nominated Marvel movie, I was so mystified by that that I end up just coming off harder on the movie. I had fun with it. I really did. I look forward to more Black Panther. Um, It's just in a list of, I think, a lot of better movies, personally. for returning to rank and review we have at least one more marvel episode that we need to get to when and if um the new ep- the new movie comes <laughs> out widow ever comes out um but uh, we have that to look forward to so i i'll get you back here again at some point that's for damn sure um this was a tough rank i have to say i'm not happy with it i'm not happy with my top or my bottom but i'm living with it <laughs> uh <laughs> What other thing can you do but do that? Like, you got no choice. <laughs> everything needs to be at the top and everything needs to be at the bottom. And I don't know how to do this rank, but uh, this is the crucible that I put us both through. And happily, you have to go first. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, what was your least favorite of these six Marvel movies and why? Um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, again, I'll say this on all of them. I enjoyed them all. I, I some of them, if you put Guardians of the Galaxy 2 in with some of the ones from earlier on, it would be ahead of them. It just happens to be in this slate because this was the order in which they came out. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it, it did feel a bit of a step back after the first Guardians, although it would be pretty tough to take a step forward after that one. So it was, it was, uh, it was my bottom. And then I went, it was tough. Like, he really, from like, that, it, that was the easiest one for me right. in terms of yeah, it's, I know for sure it's my sixth even though I liked it the other one's like whew, then it became really tough uh, I went Doctor Strange 5 I went Homecoming 4 Black Panther 3 Ragnarok 2 and then it ended up going surprisingly my, a little bit but Civil War ended up being at 1 wow Sorry, can you just give me the bullet point on those again? So you went Guardians 2, Doctor Strange, Strange, 
Spider-Man, Spider-Man Black Panther, Panther Thor, Thor, Ragnarok, and then Civil War. We went zero yeah. for six. We went zero for six. We we matched in no spots. Usually this would mean you get a prize, but I think that we'll count this this thousandth yes. review <laughs> prize uh, as as your prize. Although the way you're talking chapter and verse about all these books, I wonder if you really need a Marvel encyclopedia. It's got a lot of pretty pictures in it, though. I promise. <laughs> like um, now, now, I'm curious. I I, I, I said to my wife before we, we recorded, Mike. I don't think we're going to agree on many on this one. This is going to be tough. Yeah. Well, and we agree that they're all good movies. This is the problem, right? That's. For me, the most disappointing movie as far as the hype and the expectation and my enjoyment of it was Black Panther. I don't know if that makes me racist or something, but that's how I felt. I really liked the movie. I do think it's entertaining. But for me, if I, it, of this group of six movies, if I'm going to watch one of them tonight... That would probably be the the last one that I would be reaching for. Or if I did, it would just be, you know, in honor of the late, great Chazik Bozeman. Really great movie, really important movie, really entertaining movie. It is number six for me in this list. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is number five. And if you've heard how much I love Guardians of the Galaxy number one, it might seem a little shocking that I would dare put it that low, but... There it is. Uh, I, I like it a lot fine, again, but a tough bunch of movies. Again, I didn't invest with the Yondu character, and then this movie asked me to, so I felt a little bit ahead of the movie, and that was something that I really delighted in in the first movie. I was enjoying it, and I also had no idea what was coming next, so I put it in fifth place. It's hard to hate the Guardians of the Galaxy. I couldn't quite put myself at the bottom, but... I guess I have, I'm at war of those two. Black Panther, Guardians 2 at the bottom, that was probably the toughest part. Right. But again, tough list. In fourth place, Doctor Strange. I really enjoy the world that they kicked down, and I think that Derrickson was a good choice. I'm kind of a little bit disappointed that he's not going to be doing more work with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but uh, he definitely opened the door for them, and I'm excited to see where this goes moving forward. It's a big world, and uh, again... The thing that the thing that knocks it down is again the villain, and we've talked about that many times, especially in these origin movies. The villain is the one that gets the short change. So, possibly overperforming for me in third place, Spider-Man: Homecoming. This was the one that I was the least excited about when it came out. I just felt like the world didn't need another Spider-Man movie, and like this was the one that had to convince me. I went a little bit arms folded. They did have Michael Keaton; that was a big boon for them. That would, that definitely helped the medicine go down for me. But it overperformed. So so surprisingly, it goes to third place. Second place, Captain America: Civil War. Uh, again. Just slightly less good than Winter Soldier, but Winter Soldier was really when I feel like Marvel Cinematic Enterprises just upped its game a full, like, letter grade. <laughs> like, just generally, everything just went up a notch. And you were already pretty happy with things. So, <clears throat> just the idea that it would come to a physical confrontation is very comic book. It's, it's a hypocrisy to say it's what we paid to see, but it's the hardest pill to swallow in the whole movie. <laughs> Thor Ragnarok has given my household a lot of joy. <laughs> my boys love it. We've seen it a lot. Thor and the Hulk have a fight, and it's 
kick ass. It's got an amazing cast. It's balancing a lot of storylines and it's keeping the stakes high and the laughter high. It's the closest they've come to that sweet spot of Guardians of the Galaxy since Guardians of the Galaxy. And for me, Ragnarok steals the top spot. Way to go, Taika Waititi. I'm very happy to hear he will be directing another Thor movie. Yep. So, um, we agreed in no place this episode. Well, but you know what, though? I'm just looking at it. If you take Black Panther right. off, the R5 is almost exactly the same. We just flip-flop on Ragnarok and, and Civil War. Yeah. So, in the core of it, we're actually a lot closer than maybe we thought we were. It, with that one that usually happens when I come on your show Larry there's one movie that screws everything up a wrench on each other's list we'll never we're like two ships passing in the night I want to keep reiterating that I like all of these movies. It's the arbitrary format of rank and review that forces me to rank them. I, I think that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is worth your time, especially if you grew up reading comic books. I get that they're not for everyone, the same way Star Trek or Star Wars isn't for everyone, but they're for me, and uh, I celebrate them, and I look forward to ranking the next one with you. When we do eventually do the next episode, I propose that we not just rank those six, but mm-hmm. that we rank all 24 that we have ended up reviewing. And And if you want to talk about a tough rank, <laughs> that's going to be a tough rank. Jeez. It'll have to be. I a... was just going to suggest if, like, maybe the top two out of all the the other four or something like. No, that. no, no, it's no, be man. Pretty close in our top one too. We're doing four episodes of this. Why fuck about? I say we make the fourth <laughs> one just epic. We'll be at it for like three hours, but it'll be all worthwhile. <laughs> oh, who am I kidding? I'm in. I'm totally <laughs> sold. Thank you so much. Please send some love to the fam. <laughs> Uh, Same and, to yours, my friend. Yeah, like I say, when this is finally out in the world, 2020 will almost be in the rearview mirror. So we're going to yeah, get there, brother. <laughs> Until next we speak. Cheers. thousand reviews for rank and review can you believe that kids my goodness a thousand and three i guess as of the end of this particular episode i hope you've been enjoying your time with rank and review and if you have feedback to send me you can send that to rank and review at gmail.com that's r-a-n-k-n-r-e-v-i-e-w at gmail.com let me know what you thought about the podcast what you thought about the rank how you would rank it what you would like to hear what you think of what you have heard just drop me a line. It's always nice to know that there's people listening. It, 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 it's motivating. It's motivating. Um, 2020's been a tough old year, and we're down near the end of it. So I hope everybody out there listening to this is holding together. And let's hope 2021 is a brighter future.